This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And we come this evening to verse number 18, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And we come uh, this evening uh, to verse number 18. We'll read uh, through the end of the first chapter through verse number 31. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. And things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We note the phrase that we find in verse number 18, for the preaching of the cross. I'm going to speak to you this evening on this subject, the preaching of the cross. I want us to pray together, and we'll look into this portion of Scripture tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come uh, again uh, to your word. And we pray that your word would accomplish the purpose whereto you have sent it. We know that it will not return void. I pray that you would open our, our ears to hear, our minds to understand, our eyes to see the truth, and help us to be obedient to the truth and live out the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've noted thus far, the Corinthian church was a carnal church. It was situated in the city of Corinth, which was known for its 
immorality and its idolatry. In fact, if you were going to describe the debauchery of the day, uh, there was a term that described it. It was the same term that would describe the inhabitants of the city of Corinth. You would say that these people engaged in these unmentionable acts of wickedness were playing the Corinthian. And so we understand what Corinth was known for. We also understand that the Apostle Paul went to Corinth preaching the gospel. Souls were saved and a church was established, and the Apostle Paul ministered there for 18 months to help this fledgling church be established and to place people in positions as God called them, of leadership. Now Paul, having received the news that the Christians in Corinth were divided, they were divided along the lines of personality. They were behaving in a nature that was not spiritual but carnal or fleshly. He begins to write to them, as we saw uh, last time when we looked at this passage of Scripture in verses 10 through 17, and reprove them of their division. Now as we come to verse number 18, uh, we see how that the carnal thinking uh, of the church had manifested itself in a different way, and that was in pride and a desire to be uh, people who were known for their intellect. The Apostle Paul reminds them here, beginning in verse number 18, that the message of the cross, the preaching of the cross, is to them that perish or to those who reject that message. It is to them foolishness, but unto those who know the Lord, those who are saved, it is the power of God. This Corinthian church was surrounded by a godless pagan culture, and of course one aspect of the Greek culture was their love for and their reliance upon earthly wisdom. And today we live in a world filled with a love of knowledge. Science has been established as the authority. The problem with that is it depends on the perspective of the one who is issuing what is called science because there is much disagreement today about what science has concluded. The science uh, is uh, established as the authority, but it is up to the fact checkers who work for social media companies, along with the controllers of the social and political narrative, to decide which science applies and in which scenarios. For example, today, Uh, something as simple as human biology that no society has really ever had to be confused about in 6,000 years of biblical history has now dumbfounded uh, our nation and our world to determine what is a man and what is a woman and if there is such a thing has now become a matter of debate among scientists. The Bible refers to science falsely so-called. I think that's important for us to note in this hour in which we live. Over the past year, as we have responded to uh, the COVID situation and all of the guidance that has been given to us by different health organizations, 
we find that the guidance that we have uh, been given has at times varied and made no sense at all. You would imagine that the, the, the ability to discern and make good decisions is one that is lost on this generation. There have been so many conflicting ideas, but if you have a variant of opinion from the main party line, then you are canceled in this culture. Along with the COVID crisis, you have all of the social justice issues of the day in our nation. Those who believe that socialism is the route to healing and happiness in our nation. Those who believe in all types of isms and promise people a happy and fulfilled life uh, really have vain and empty promises. You would think that after these 6,000 years of human history, we would have learned from our past mistakes, but it looks as if our nation has been caught up into this intellectualism and has been led astray. The thinking of our day, as it was in the days of the Corinthian church, has crept into the church. Christians are thinking more like the world and less like Christ. There's a love for human wisdom among God's people. Additionally, all of us who know the Lord, we're in a battle. We're in a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the battlefield is largely in the realm of our thinking and of our mind. And we who believe and have been redeemed from sin have not yet been redeemed from the effect of sin upon our minds in the way that we think. You see, we still deal with the sin nature. And the sin nature in us has corrupted our mind and our thinking. That's why we must be renewed in our mind on a daily basis. That's why we must present ourselves as a living sacrifice. That's why we must learn not to be conformed to the thinking and the mindset of this world, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the way that our mind is renewed is by filling our mind with the mind of Christ, and the mind of Christ is revealed to us in the Word of God. But what had happened in Corinth and what has happened in our nation is that many Christians were contaminated in their mind by the thinking and the philosophies of the world. And the Apostle Paul is seeking here in these verses to address that and to correct that so that their thinking might come into line with the thinking of the Lord and of his word. I want you to note some things with me this evening. Number one, we'll note the preaching of the cross. Number two, we'll note the pride of man. Thirdly, the power of God. Fourthly, the people of God. And then lastly, the personification of wisdom. Well, let's note them. We'll begin with the first, and that is the preaching of the cross. The Apostle Paul begins again in verse 18, for the preaching of the cross, that is the message of Jesus' death 
upon the cross of Calvary, his resurrection, his burial, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That was a message that in the Greek mind and even in the Jewish mind, that was a message that was foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And so we, we note the estimation of the preaching of the cross here. How did the world interpret and value the preaching of the cross? Well, we see, number one, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are lost. The message that Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth and walked among men, teaching us his word, performing miracles, uh, living a life that pleased the Father, a sinless life, overcoming the devil, though he tempted him and sought to oppose him, ruling over nature with his miracles, casting out devils, healing diseases, raising the dead. For that Savior to go to the cross and suffer and bleed and die the death of a slave and of a criminal, that is reprehensible to the world. It makes no sense. The word foolishness literally means it's silly or stupid. You see, the world is not looking for one to come and die. The world is looking for one to come and conquer. And there is one who has come to conquer, and his name is Satan. But Jesus came to serve. That is how Mark portrayed it in his gospel according to Mark, in his gospel record, Christ the servant who came to serve and give his life for us. So we see that there are those who their estimation of the preaching of the cross is that it is foolishness. Then those who have received the message of the cross, those who have been saved, their estimation of the preaching of, of the cross is that it is the power of God. The apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16 said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, this message of the crucified Savior, the one who suffered and bled and died, an awful death, a torturous, barbaric death, the one who suffered such a death, buried on the third day, rose again. He rose again with triumph and victory over sin and death and hell. And by the nature of his death and his resurrection, we who believe share in that victory. We have, through Christ, been given power to become the sons of God. It is through the powerful preaching of the message of the cross that lost sinners are saved from an eternity in hell and given an everlasting future in heaven. You see, the question may come, how do you defeat sin? And the wisdom of this world will tell you, well, you have to institute programs. You have to institute social justice causes. You have to protect the rights of individuals. But those roads will only lead you into more sin. The only way to defeat sin is through living a righteous life. And the only one who could live it was the Son of God. 
How do you defeat death? By doing what no man has ever done, coming up from the grave. But Jesus did it, never to die again. He won the victory over sin. He won the victory over death. And he gives life to all who believe on him. Then thirdly, we see that the preaching of the cross in its estimation is pleasing to God. The word pleasing here means he thinks it's good. The preaching of the cross in the mind of God is good. It is wise. Why? Because it fulfills the purposes of God. Look, if you would, please, in verse number 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Then the apostle Paul asked the question, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? The Greek culture was enamored with wisdom. It was enamored with the leaders of different uh, schools of philosophy, different thoughts. There were many debates that would be held in a public forum. We have an example of that when the apostle Paul was in Athens preaching and the people assembled to hear the orators come. And Paul stood forth and proclaimed the message of Christ. And Paul's challenge here is that the wise and the scribe and the disputer of this world has no answer, has no alternative for humanity, has no argument against the wisdom of God. And he goes on to say in verse 20, Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world. Think of all the movements that have come and gone, promising prosperity and peace only to bring death and despair. And as I said a moment ago, you would think that society would learn throughout history, but we have not learned and we continue to make the same mistakes. Why? Because wicked men who think the preaching of the cross is foolish walk in darkness because they have refused the light. And their intellect and their philosophy is fashioned from a heart that is broken and distorted by sin. In fact, God tells us in Romans chapter 1 that they have become reprobate. They no longer possess the ability to reason. And we see that on full display on network news and social media every day in the United States of America. So we see the preaching of the cross. Then secondly, we see the pride of man, the pride of man. Notice in verse 22, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block, unto the Greeks, foolishness. So here we find the pride of man, and he deals with two classes of people. The, the Apostle Paul deals with the Jews, and then he deals with the Greeks or the Gentiles. And at that moment in history, the Greek culture was the predominant culture influencing the mindset of the world. Now, what does he say about these groups? He speaks to us concerning these groups that they reflect the heart of a proud, prideful humanity. 
Now, he says, first of all, that the Jews require a sign. If you read the gospel records, you, you understand that they would come to the Lord Jesus and ask him to do a miracle. They wanted to see a sign. But as we read the gospel records, we find that signs were all around them. The one who healed in their presence, the paralytic man, born of four, let down through the roof, who said, rise, take up thy bed and walk. That was a sign, but it wasn't good enough for them. Uh, the one who spoke to the winds and the waves and said, peace be still, that was a sign, but it wasn't good enough for them. The one who cast out devils in their presence, that was a sign, but it wasn't good enough for them. You see, what we find is that though there were many signs abounding, signs that confirmed his birth, the visit of the Magi, the star in the sky, the song of the angels, the rejoicing in the temple. There were many, many signs that were confirmed over and over and over again for the Jews, but yet in their unbelief, they denied the signs and they said, give us more signs. You see, the heart of a proud man can never be satisfied. And then we find the Greeks, what do they want? They want wisdom. John Phillips in his commentary writes and says that in Athens, Paul was surrounded by the Stoics and Epicureans. He soon discovered that they really did not want the truth. They wanted to hear some new thing. As he stood before them, anointed by the Spirit of God with ultimate truth to proclaim, they called him a babbler. They mocked him as some hayseed redneck. You see, they didn't want the truth. They just wanted to revel in their ideas. We live in a world that doesn't want the truth either. And when you give it to them, they reject it. And they reject it to hold on to some really ridiculous theories, right? Like that this world is a result of an explosion in outer space. And then when you ask them, well, where did the elements from the explosion come from? They have no answer. Their point is not to really know the origin of the universe. Their only point is to discount the fact that God created it. And that God made man, male and female, and created them in his image. There is no acknowledgement of that. There is no desire to really know the truth. They just, in their deception and in their pride, continue to seek for any answer other than God. But all of their answers just lead us back to the same conclusions. They don't have an answer. The Apostle Paul is pointing this out here. There is no hope for humanity in the miraculous signs that the Jews desire to see because the more you give them, the more they want to see. And it does not lead them to Christ. Nor in the mental uh, performance and the mental philosophies and the mental ideologies of the Greeks, there are no answers. There's no hope given for humanity. The only way to give hope is to deal with sin. And the only answer to sin is found in verse 23. 
But we, that is the church of Jesus Christ, we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness. The question then comes to us, are we willing to bear that reproach? Because we like to be accepted of men. We like to be respected. We like to not to be viewed as hayseeds. We like to be viewed as intellectuals. That's part of that pride that must be cast aside. And this form of thinking has crept into the thinking of God's people. We see a third thought, and that is the power of God. But unto them, verse 24, which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He's speaking of those who know the Lord. He's speaking of the power of God and the wisdom of God. And the fact that we recognize that this preaching of the cross is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God. To think that a man would, would in his pride, in his lofty thinking, believe that he could attain to levels of righteousness that would be pleasing to God. To believe that he could make himself the judge and the ruler of what that level of righteousness should be. I'll never forget a friend saying to me, when, when my life is over and I make it to the judgment, to the gates, I think he's going to let me in because I've been a pretty good guy. And he went on to tell me the things that he believed would qualify him for heaven. You see, there are many people who believe that way. Think of all the religions that have, been, uh, that have begun and, and, and been practiced uh, in the history of this world and, and continue to be practiced today the thinking that you can attain to some level of righteousness, the thinking that you can do something to earn favor with God based on your own preferences or your own mindset. By the way, that thinking even creeps into the church of Christ today in the thought that somehow if we do certain things that God loves us more than he loves other people. Well, that's not the right thinking either. Uh, think of the Buddhists, the Hindus, and the Muslims, the Mormons, and the Jehovah's Witnesses, the cults, who all believe that they can craft their own way to God, but will not come to God on the terms that God has clearly laid out. The Bible tells us that there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by him. 
You will not get to the Father through political reform or through religious rituals or practices. You will only get to the Father through the Son by placing your faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you have done that, you will experience the salvation of God. And all other creations of humanity and their religious imaginations and practices that deny Christ as the only Savior is foolishness. The power of God. Then we note in verse 26, the people of God. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. What are they called to? They're called to salvation. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. Here's the concluding thought in these verses, that no flesh should glory in his presence. As I said a moment ago, man in his imaginations have devised the way that they believe they can get to God or be equal with God. We find here that God has said that no flesh would glory in his presence. In verse 26, he says, You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now, it doesn't say not any mighty, not any noble are called. He just says not many. I don't know who among us would consider ourselves to be mighty and noble, but there wouldn't be many of us here. Uh, Most of us would not be considered that by the world. In fact, perhaps none of us here tonight would be considered that. And if any of us thought that we were, we wouldn't be so foolish as to tell anybody, at least I hope. So who has God chosen? Well, he's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The people that that the world would consider to be foolish, that's who God has chosen. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. God uses the things that are cast off and rejected and unusable in the eyes of humanity, and God uses those things mightily in his hands the base things, the things which are despised, hath God chosen. Aren't you glad? Because when I read that, I find myself in that number, don't you? The base things, the things that are despised. I'm glad that God has a heart for the castaway and the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. Now, what a wonderful example we have of this in our study of David in 1 Samuel 17. Here's this giant of the Philistines, 10 feet tall. He's the champion. And here's the army of Israel set in array with their king, the king that was supposed to lead them to victory over the Philistines. He was tall. He had a commanding presence. He had a great beginning. According to the wisdom of this world, 
which was the thinking that originated in the hearts and minds, or not originated, rather, but is the thinking that they adopted, speaking of the nation of Israel, as they looked at what the other nations were doing. You see, they mimicked the thinking of the world. We need a king. We need an army. We need to train our military. I'm tired of having these prayer meetings and asking God to do something and calling out for the prophet to come and pray for us and then getting a group of ragtag men and going to fight the battle, even though God keeps giving us victory when we do that. <laughs> we don't really like that anymore. I think what we need is this. And they had it. And they thought they were doing pretty well till Goliath walked out on the battlefield hurling his vulgar words. And so then they got together. They had a committee meeting. And you know what they decided? We need a 10-foot guy too. But they didn't have a 10-foot guy. They just had a shepherd boy. And that's the one that God sent to them. You see, God confounds the wisdom of the world with foolishness. God pulls down the mighty things of the world with the weak. Think about the Pharaoh. He had the children of Israel in bondage. What did he desire to do as he saw them continuing to grow? He said, we've got to put a stop to this. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to tell the midwives to put all the baby boys to death. Just kill them. Throw them in the river. Let the crocodiles eat them. I don't care how you do it. We just want them gone. Because if we're not careful, they're going to take over. They're going to take over. And so the Pharaoh put this program in place. Kill all the babies. There was a couple who didn't do what he told them to do, Amram and Jochebed. They, they didn't fear the king's commandment. They feared God. By the way, when the king's commandment is in direct conflict with God's commandment, we're constrained to follow God. And so they did not practice this awful crime of putting these infants to death. And so Moses' mother, you know the story, made the ark, right? The little basket. And she pitched it, daubed it with slime so that the water wouldn't seep in. And she put the baby, when she couldn't hide him any longer, put him in the basket, laid him in the river. The Pharaoh's daughter and her maidens came down to the river. And they heard a cry coming from the basket. They opened the basket. And the Pharaoh's daughter looked into the beautiful face of baby Moses as he cried and shed a tear. And you know it was through that little baby with that little tear in his eye that God brought down all of Egypt. The whole thing fell. It'd take a little more time. But God took the weak, the weakest thing you could find, a helpless child. And he used him to be a mighty 
weapon in the hand of God. Listen, we best not underestimate the power and influence of the church and the power and influence of the preaching of the gospel. We are the people of God. There's nothing special about us except for this one fact. We belong to him, and he loves us, and he has empowered us and enabled us, and we have a bright future ahead of us. I'm so glad to be a part of the people of God, aren't you? The church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Then we see, lastly, the personification of wisdom. We see it in verse 30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. And really, he's more than the personification of wisdom here. He is the personification of wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He is our all in all. The wisdom that we need, we receive in him. We cannot mind the depths of his wisdom and his knowledge, but he is the source of it. And if we desire to have it, then we must commune with him. We must come to him. If we lack wisdom, the Bible tells us that we can ask of God who upbraideth not and giveth to all men liberally. He is our righteousness. As we live in this Corinthian-style world full of immorality and idolatry, we need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Our sanctification to keep us holy and pure and right. He is our Redeemer, the one who has purchased us back from the bondage of sin, the slave market of sin. He has redeemed us unto himself, and now we belong to him and we are bought with a price. The Apostle Paul will help the believers in Corinth to understand that their body is not their own. He's redeemed us. He's the personification of wisdom. You see, the Greeks would be divided by who they followed, different schools of philosophy. That thinking had crept in. That's why the church was divided by personalities. But Christ is our all in all. And the Bible says in verse 31 that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. He's our glory. He's the source of our joy, the source of our hope, the source of our strength, the preaching of the cross. Don't be ashamed of it. Be thankful for it. It brings down the pride of man. It manifests the power of God. It is the thing which makes us the people of God. And it gives us the wisdom that we need. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. 
If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.